break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here with you on The Punch-Out, 14th of July, 2021. We are very happy to be back with you. Plenty for you here on the show, as always. Going to be talking about 2.2 million people lacking health care in the United States. Where are they and who are they? We're going to be talking about another very bad bill in Texas. Before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with the capitalist climate fight that's been kicked off by the European Union between that block and the United States of America. Well, the European Union announced today a package of proposed laws designed to address climate change that's opened up a bit of a rift with the United States and once again raises the issue of how the world's major powers can address the rapid destruction of the planet. The centerpiece of the EU plan is a proposal to enact a border tax which would raise tariffs on certain goods produced in countries that the EU deems to not have strong enough laws on reducing carbon emissions. The laws are supposed to be the centerpiece of the EU's pledge to reduce carbon emissions by 55% by 2030 and move to net zero emissions by 2050. Other measures in the broader package include a ban on the sale of gas and diesel-engined vehicles by 2035 and expanding the EU's existing cap-and-trade system to cover maritime emissions and adding higher targets for renewable energy usage, among other things. But as mentioned above, the most contentious element has become this issue of the carbon border tax, which is opposed by the United States, also, by the way, opposed by China and India. The EU proposal, which has to be approved by all of the EU countries before it can be enacted, and that in and of itself is raising doubts about whether it can succeed. France, for instance, is against the 2035 ending the sale of gas engines. And obviously, the EU, though, proposing this and the way they've rolled it out is designed to push the United States to act more aggressively on climate and more in tune with how the Europeans prefer to address the issue. Now, the dispute over the carbon border taxes is that, in a way, it is more or less a backdoor form of protectionism for certain industries. Opponents of these kind of taxes note that it is more or less arbitrary and that so-called climate goals can be manipulated to exclude goods from various countries on a political basis disguised as saving the planet and that ultimately the impact of these sorts of policies is likely to be relatively negligible. For instance... If I say we're going to levy a tax on steel from X country because their steel is produced in a way that's too, quote unquote, carbon intensive, well, that doesn't mean X is going to stop producing steel or even try to conform to the carbon reduction into the market that is their banned from. They may be just as likely to look for other markets without the tax or boost their internal spending to pick up the slack. So it could do nothing or even make the issue worse. Notably in the United States, though, there are forces like 
for instance, the United Steelworkers and other private companies who are calling for the U.S. to do the same thing in terms of border taxes, arguing that certain U.S. industries are more green than their European and Chinese counterparts. The Biden administration has said that they are semi-open to the idea to keep some of these various forces, particularly in the unions and certain sectors like the steel industry overall, on side. But in response to the EU proposal, they've been fairly cool and in fact seem to be set up for a relatively big clash should the EU actually implement this. The issue this all really raises is how exactly we are going to save the planet. Well, how or if, but what is really nestled in the EU proposal is that there is a quote-unquote market-based solution to climate change, that ultimately capitalism does not really have to be much of a big change to capitalism. And the Europeans have full-on embraced the idea of using taxation of various types to limit carbon emissions by raising the cost to corporations producing the planet-killing emissions. So they're hoping to push the United States to take more action on climate change in general by pushing them to adopt these market-based style tactics that they have implemented. And that, by the way, many market-based solutions type people in America also would like to see. Most notably, the EU has already instituted a block-wide cap-and-trade system. And this is really the main market-based solution that's proposed to address the issue of climate change. Now, in these sorts of systems, what happens is you put a quote-unquote cap on how much carbon emissions can be produced each year. Individual companies then are allocated a certain amount of emissions they can produce. If they're going to go over that allowance, they can then buy more from other companies who are below the limit and who trade their allowances. Over time, the cap is reduced, which is allegedly supposed to reduce emissions. There is a lot to be said about cap-and-trade systems, but the major issue is the relationship between cost and speed. Since a carbon market of this type is pro-capitalist, you can't just set the cap randomly based on what you need to do. You have to make sure that the costs don't rise so high so fast as to either A, become a massive burden on businesses and cause them to fail, or B, create too much of a passing on of cost to consumers, placing goods out of the reach of many and increasing poverty and deprivation. So that means basically out of necessity, you can't move the cap down fast enough to actually address the speed the planet is changing without creating costs that can make capitalism either unsustainable investment-wise or create massive hardship on those who are not rich. And this is also an issue with just outright carbon pricing, where there's just a general tax placed on certain emissions. You produce them, you have to pay a certain amount of money in tax. Ultimately, maintaining the principle of maintaining a private profit system at all cost means you have to acquiesce to the profit system that created the climate crisis in the first place. It's a cul-de-sac, really. China, of course, whatever challenges it has in addressing its own emissions, has shown there is a different way to address the issue. Central planning. When the state controls the majority of capital by controlling the banks and has the ability to allocate said capital in line with climate goals and best practices, you can make rapid progress, as China has in a range of areas, including solar power. For instance, when you look at electric cars, their rollout is not really well matched with where it would need to be to actually address the crisis quickly enough and at the scale that's needed. And as many people would note, massive investments in things like public transit infrastructure would probably make more inroads more quickly and help save the planet. But in that case, what do you do with the auto industry? What do you do with the people who work there? What do you do with the physical infrastructure that has grown up around car culture in the United States? Ultimately, how can you really address any of these massive problems without the ability to make some decisions that are good for people, good for workers, but bad for massive corporations who control all of the capital and, to some degree, the politics? So while the EU at least deserves more credit than the United States— and how seriously they are taking the issue of climate change, 
This new package of laws and regulations still leaves much to be desired if we're going to be talking about what really needs to happen to save the planet from total destruction. There's a lot of discussion in the media these days about the Texas legislature and the legislators of the Democratic Party who have fled the state. And that discussion, of course, is centered around a Republican bill to restrict voting rights in the state. And that's very, very important, that voting restriction bill. But we want to bring to your attention here that it isn't the only terrible bill being pushed through in the special legislative session happening down there in Austin. In fact, the other signature bill, the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, and Republican leaders in the Senate and the House there want signed and pushed through is one that would strengthen the cash bail system. As the Texas Tribune details, Senate Bill 6, quote, would largely prevent defendants deemed dangerous from being released on personal bonds, which don't require cash up front, but they could still be released on cash bail. Those who could pay a monetary amount set by the courts would still be able to walk free. The bill would also stop charitable bail groups, which gained popularity for bailing out protesters arrested after a Minneapolis police officer murdered George Floyd from posting bail for anyone accused or ever previously convicted of a violent or sexual crime, end quote. Now, Republicans, of course, are claiming that this measure is crucial to protect citizens. That's a big part of their stance as being tough on crime. One big problem with this, however, is there's actually no evidence that bail of any sort does anything to keep people safe. And allegedly, that's what it's all about. In New Jersey, where cash bail was virtually eliminated in 2017, quote-unquote violent crime dropped 16% in the next couple years after that, and the number of people arrested while on pretrial release was the same as under the cash bail system. In New Mexico in 2016, the state passed laws that limited cash bail and made it easier to get out on pretrial release without bail of any sort. The result? A significantly smaller number of people released pretrial were arrested. This is measured by something called the safety rate, which is what percentage of people released are not rearrested for another crime. And that percentage went from 74% to 83%. In Washington, D.C., one of the first cities to end money bail, in fiscal year 2019, 87% of people were not rearrested when released pretrial, and 99% weren't rearrested for a violent crime. In Cook County, Illinois, that's where Chicago is, 99.4% of people who were released pretrial between October 2017 and December 2018 were not charged with any new violent offenses, and 83% remained charge-free while their cases were pending. And we've seen similar trends have been observed in Houston, New Orleans, San Francisco, Yakima, Washington, and Jefferson County, Colorado. When put in that perspective, the Texas bill is clearly about something else. Advocates for cash bail are really arguing for a certain perception of those who become involved in the criminal legal system. That despite not being convicted of a crime, just the act of being arrested means you must be guilty of something. To admit that bail plays no role in public safety is to admit that the police and prosecutors are generally making as many assumptions as anything else when they make arrests and charges. And the idea that they only go after certified violent criminals is probably just not true, which of course raises uncomfortable questions about the system of mass incarceration in this country. So for advocates of law and order like Texas Republicans, pointless bills around issues like cash bail are important to keep their legal fictions alive. All the better to make sure there is little to no change to the racist, classist system of mass incarceration. <laughs> 
There are 2.2 million people in the United States in what's known as the Medicaid coverage gap. That means they are too poor to qualify for the Affordable Care Act exchanges, but not poor enough to qualify for Medicaid because their states did not expand the program. They reside in the states of Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Dakota, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and Wyoming. Who are they? Well, it's a little tricky to generalize, but there are a few general points we can make. For instance, in most of the states, about 50% are between the ages of 19 and 34. In terms of job classification, essentially all the states involved, the majority of these workers are in the restaurant sector and the construction sector. Worth noting here, by the way, that construction workers have the fifth highest rate of workplace injuries that involve days away from work. And while restaurant workers aren't quite that high, in 2019, OSHA did record 288,000 injuries among restaurant workers. And that, of course, is just what they were able to count, which does not include all injuries that happen in a given year. And in Georgia and North Carolina, grocery stores came in in the third spot as it concerns the Medicaid coverage gap. And in Texas, that spot is taken by home health care workers. In terms of racial demographics, the breakdown tend to reflect racial trends in low-wage work generally and more specifically in the industries affected and also the demographics of the state. In Kansas, for instance, 59% of the workers in the health care or the Medicaid coverage gap are white. In Texas, 70% are Latino. And in Mississippi, 53% are black. In gender balance... Most of the states tend to be about half and half, although in Wyoming, it's overwhelmingly men, while in Kansas and Texas, 53% of those in the Medicaid coverage gap are women. If nothing else, this reflects the absurdity of the U.S. healthcare system, where access to care is rationed based on how much money you have, and where all sorts of ridiculous gaps in eligibility for various programs and subsidies leave millions of people vulnerable. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh.